haven't got that gas station latte again today. It's not your thing. Yeah, you go. You love that gas station latte. (laughs) Are we we recording? We are, but I can cut it. No, we don't. This is the good stuff, baby. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I go because the place across the place. So there's, I would take this little walk, right? A couple blocks. And there's a nice little coffee place. It's very festive in there. It's yeah, like, the one with the pirates. It's the one with the pirates, yeah. Um, it's really nice, supposedly. Um, but they have this – the thing I used to always get was this mocha, right? Uh-huh. And the mocha had like cayenne pepper on Yum. the top. You know how that's like, like a Like the thing? Mexican chocolate Yeah, thing? Whatever, whatever it ends up getting called at the various places. I believe here it's called the flaming mocha. Uh-huh. Um, but the point is, is there's like – yeah, they stick a bunch of pepper on it, but I feel like they make it wrong at this place. Like they make like a regular mocha and then they just put the pepper on top. Mm. And so every time I take like the first two sips, my like throat gets seared off by just like open flakes of, you know, whatever the pepper is. So, so it really ruins the rest of the drink. So, so what, Eric, why don't you stir your drink before you put it in your face? I'm paying like $19 for this mocha. <laughs> I feel like I don't have to stir it. But anyway, what I've been doing in, in order to avoid this. Ask them to stir it? Is, I'm not asking someone to stir it. I'm just like a line in the barista. The barista's got like 10 people. And like, excuse me, sir, sir, <laughs> could you just could you just stir it, please? The, the pepper. <laughs> the pepper, it really, it, my delicate throat. Um, <laughs> no, but so I go I go across the street to Super America uh, um, where there is Super Mom's yep. Espresso. Yep. Yeah, there's shout also Super to, Moms branded muffins, yeah, which by the I've way, always shout liked. Shout out to the Super Moms out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, we I get this drink, and it, you got you got to do it in like three different uh, shots, right? Like the first eight ounces is God. the French. How, how big the, is this cup? Twenty four ounces. Oh, dollar sixty nine. Lord, the way your mother and mine would want it. <laughs> um, but the so first, the first eight ounces. The first eight ounces, French vanilla. Okay. Boom, espresso. Next eight ounces, English toffee. Ugh. Oh, come on. No, we're just getting going. Uh. But then, no, but then, so then the last third to balance it out, right, is you get the, um, you get just regular coffee. You just pour it in. Okay. And then, and then you stir it yourself like a working man. <laughs> <laughs> and it costs like, it, you know, it's way less expensive. It's way more coffee. And it doesn't like make me want to scratch out my own throat every time I drink it. Okay, so have you ever thought about going to your really fancy local mm-hmm. like coffee shop and not ordering the no, one that has the no. okay okay what am okay. I what are you gonna do get the I mean you, I, I'm one of those people that goes in and just gets the most decadent thing at whatever place it yeah is. Like, that's true it's like you just look for like what the one one with the most adjectives is yeah you know like we did that meme for Decembo and like that that's me. Like I'm the one, I'm the one getting that the the one with the, like the fancy drink, you know, with a bunch of words you don't know. Like that's absolutely what I order every time. You know, the, uh, the, the gas station food and like drink is an excellent value. When I was in college, we would go like on a Saturday night, we would go to come and go. Yes. It was called come and go. Um, we'd go to come and go and you would get those like, tornadoes it's not a tornado it's a tornado which is basically like a like a crappy flauta yeah um and then you would take that like dollar 69 like cup and you would fill it with queso oh sweet christ (laughs) we would fill it with queso and they were like yeah it comes with queso so you can put it in whatever container you want and then we would buy like plain chips and then also have it with yeah. the queso, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I think the takeaway is that we need to get um, we need to get the Super Mom sponsorship. Yeah, um, I feel like that would help the podcast. I know Super Mom is uh, listening because oh, she's a she's Super listening. Mom. Yeah, come on. Um, but we should probably welcome people to the show. At which Besides point, Super Mom, at which point because Super Mom <laughs> is always welcome. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we should probably say welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Hain, and with me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Um, so what's, what even is today? I don't even know. Today is, is the December 11th, December 11th. Um, it's December 11th, Laura. And, um, we've got a pretty good show for you today. Lots been going on. Um, plenty of things to talk about. 
But before we do that, how about the basic rundown of stuff? Yeah, so this is the second week of the month, so that means that this week you can look forward to our query show that mm-hmm. will come on a Thursday. The Thursday after that will be first pages and then writing by reading. Mm-hmm. So we haven't yet announced our writing by reading book, but I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, we're working on it. Yep, so pay attention to that. Um, you can get access to all of those special episodes on Patreon, stick a pin in that. We're com- <laughs> we're gonna come back to that. Yes. Um, but also make sure to send us your query and your first page so we can critique it. Send it to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Now unstick that pin. So let's go back to let's, Patreon. Let's unstick the Patreon pin, Laura. Uh, <laughs> so if you're a member of Patreon, if you are one of our patrons, as they're known, um, you probably got an email. Um, when was it? A few days ago, a week ago or so. Um, that basically, um, it was a lot of uh, corporate mumbo jumbo. But one of the things it said was as follows. Starting December 18th, we will apply a new service fee of 2.9% plus 0.35 that patrons will pay for each individual pledge. This service fee helps keep Patreon up and running. Now, I think that's garbage. <laughs> yeah. They sent an email to us, Eric. Uh, I didn't actually forward you oh, the email, you, oh, you, but they sent one. an email to us saying, good news for you, Patreon <laughs> people. Really? You get to Ooh. take home 95% of yeah. every pledge, whereas yeah. before it was kind of a shifting amount yeah. depending on whatever. Um but it's garbage because while we get to take home 95% of whatever the the number is that you pledge, yeah. um, starting next week, Patreon will actually be charging credit cards for more than that amount. So yeah. a, a dollar pledge will actually end up being somewhere close to $2. Yeah. Um, so uh, we'd like to push against that because we are a show that kind of we like to think hinges on accessibility it's something we talk about all the time, right? Um, we want this to be a resource that authors who might not necessarily have access um, to agenting or the book industry information, uh, we want that to be, we want to be accessible to them. And so what we're going to do um, until Patreon, you know, works their shit out, and I have a feeling that they're going to because everybody hates this. Yep, tons um, of people are leaving Patreon. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we unfortunately have a huge backlist of um episodes there so we don't want to move right um but so we're gonna drop our so we've got like two main tiers of pricing right like if you just if you're only signed up for the query show you're paying five dollars a month we want to bump that down to three dollars a month so um if this fee that you're you probably got an email too if this is something that concerns you um you should know that you can go in and we'll set it up and we'll send out a little announcement when it's ready um that you can lower your pledge to three dollars, um, which should help at least um, make up for this fee. And if um, you are one of our first pages in writing by reading subscribers, um, we'd like to bump it down from ten dollars to eight dollars. Yeah. Um, so this, we hope, sort of alleviates whatever concern um, you guys might have for um, having to pay too much. Um, if you're so, if you're already a subscriber, you can you can lower your pledge if you're so inclined. If you are new and considering, um, you can sign up for what you know is now a slightly lesser amount in light of what they are planning to charge you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we figured we'd let you know on here, and we'll definitely talk about it online a little bit more too. But um, just a little business update, I guess, huh? So the first thing we wanted to do today um, with with the holidays coming up, folks, um, and you've probably got some gift buying to buy. Um, you've got people on your list. Presumably, if you're listening to this show, maybe some of those people are, you know, book lovers, writers, you know, whatever. Or you're a writer and or you just want to get something for yourself. You're gonna, you're gonna quote unquote treat yourself, <laughs> as, as they say. Um, but we wanted to, you know, put forth a little, a little gift guide uh, for the writer slash book nerd book person. I hate the nerd geek. I don't do any of that. I don't know what any of those words mean. I'm not going to use them. So I'm just going to say book person. Book person. Book human. So uh, welcome to our first annual (laughs) print run bookish gift guide. How come we didn't do this last year? Because we've uh, we were we, new. we did a yeah we were new we weren't we weren't settled yet we we did a yeah. segment on the books that we always give to people oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We did. but that's, I only had that's, one because 
<laughs> but, incredibly unimaginative. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a good, good book. To be fair. To be fair. Eric will always give uh, the Yiddish Policeman's Union. <laughs> I will. It's the only. It's the only book I want anyone to read ever. Yeah. Um, but we've got some things. Uh, and so... it's one thing. <laughs> one thing that we were talking about when we wanted to put together a gift guide. It's you know like we we like to think that print run is fun and fresh and funky and whatever, and everybody else is doing their kind of best of book gift lists. And mm-hmm. so we wanted to do uh, bookish things that are not books. Mm-hmm. Okay. So give us the first one here. Okay. So this one is for the writer in your life who um, very much emulates the the greats of the 20th century, mm-hmm. um, but isn't quite ready for like crushing depression and chemical dependency. I don't know how they aren't, but yeah, <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't relate, but continue. Um. So the first is a six-toed cat from your local cat shelter. So you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you actually find a six-toed cat? Yes. Really? There's actually one that lives in the house. I mean, you can't you can't adopt this one. He already has a home. Um. But like right down the street from like one of my favorite bars, and uh-huh. he'll like if when he's outside and you like park your car and you go walking into the bar, he'll like trot you there he'll like deliver you to the arms of the the drinking establishment it's lovely so you're gonna steal that cat yep you're gonna pull up in a suv yep with a bag yep cat in the bag and then give it to whatever writer (laughs) is closest with a bow on it because okay so this is something we've actually never settled i don't actually understand why writers like cats so much well i mean i get like uh, excuse me um i get why they like, you know, there's like that introspective thing. There's like, oh, you know, cats are inside and quiet and sophisticated and so am I. I don't know. But like I don't understand the connection between well, cats and the book world. But it exists and it infuriates me. So it, we're going to talk about it now. It does exist. It does exist. I think um, <clears throat> they're – you don't have to let them outside. So you can be as introverted and kind of pulled away from the world as you want, mm-hmm. right? So like if you don't want to put on pants right. for a week – um, a cat is a good pet to have because they don't go outside either. So there's right? like there's less responsibility involved. They're easier to take care of. Yes. Less commit. This sounds like a writer gift. Now. Yeah, it does. There's it does. less deadlines. There's less commitment. To exactly. The cat. Yeah. Exactly. You you're not anywhere in public. Mm-hmm. Like when like if you sing to your cat or something, like your neighbor doesn't look at you funny. Whereas like if you sang to your like dog outside pooping, like definitely they would. Um, sure. Yeah. yeah. So another Man. thing. Also, probably, is that they love being near electronics. So a lot of the time they'll, like, sit on your lap and, like, keep you company when you've got your laptop with mm-hmm. you because it's, like, warm. Yeah. So they're, like, there and yeah. they're, like, you can do this. Yeah. Um, the six-toed cat specifically yeah. refers to uh, Ernest Hemingway's lots and lots and lots of cats in his yeah. Florida home. Yeah. Um, they're just like a little wonky looking. They're like technically, <laughs> like, well, I they think. They got six toes on one of those feet. On like all of them. Wait, yeah, wait, it's, hold, it's, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're, they're the, actually this, more than six toes a lot of the six, time. The six toed cat has toes, has more, has like, it's not just one paw. It's not 21 Correct. toes. Correct. It's 24 toes. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a DNA kind of wow. like. Yeah, it's it's like an albino, an albino squirrel or something Get like that. Get me one it's, of these. Actually, I would take a I would take a cat. <laughs> I'll like send you this. pictures. Their yeah. paws look a little weird. They they look like little hands. Yeah. Actually, I'll send you some. pictures. It would be great to own an ugly cat <laughs> because you could post like ha ha ha. Here's my cat and like do like little posts about it and stuff, and everyone would just hate it. Like oh god, there's Eric's cat again. It's ugly as hell. <laughs> It'd I'm going to get you That'd be the, the ugliest <laughs> six-toed cat yeah. forever, and yeah. you are just going to hate me for yeah. it. So anyway, first gift, <laughs> six-toed cat. Okay, so should we do another one? Yes. Okay, so this is one that I personally relate to very much, and that is the, the too precious leather journal that you get <laughs> usually around the first of the year that you say you're going to write all your ideas in. Maybe you're going to like do some, you're going to pick up some journaling or some mode of introspection, right? Maybe you're going to write some poems. Going to put all your good ideas in there. I have thought about, you know what? I'm going to write a poem a day. I'm going to be a poet. Um, How many days has that happened? I've written like four poems in my life (laughs) and none of them will ever see the light of day. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, yeah, you buy this like $35 moleskin, right? Usually like a, either a Barnes and Noble or like some, um craft store yeah and 
Maybe you like put a little inscription in the front from your favorite book, and then you just forget about it, folks. You just take the journal and you stick it in one of your drawers and you just leave it there. And then sometime in July, usually mm-hmm. in the new year, you pull it out and you're like, hmm, haven't filled any of this in. And then just go right back to whatever the mediocre year you've been having. Yeah. And it's really good. It's a healthy practice. The thought of not putting anything in it because it's too fancy yeah, and right. all your ideas right. are shit. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaks to me. Yeah. It no, does. No. Get a journal that's better than you. That's the key. <laughs> Get a journal for someone who is better than you. Yep. Um, that's good. That's a good one. What else we got? Uh, I have um, a box set of the complete series of Murder, She Wrote. Hmm. Specifically because I am a really big fan of like putting your like idols, you know, like having having things that remind you of them and like force you to be better. Sure. And I think that Jessica Fletcher, um, the the main character in Murder, She Wrote, is the writer that everyone should try to be. Mostly because she spends like over 10 seasons of the show, like not writing a single word. <laughs> she just like solves mysteries. Really? Yes. That's like what I do. Yeah. I know. It's perfect. Isn't it great? Yeah. So I think, you know, like if you want to be a really successful writer, just like, you know, look to Jessica Fletcher and be like, I could be like that. So the mystery that I'm solving right now instead of writing is uh, the heat in my apartment is once again wonky. <laughs> oh my God. And so I sit down I sit down at my desk, right, which is right next to the radio. Like it's a major fire hazard. I've got cords running into this thing. It's it's gonna set on fire one of these days. It's gonna be a nice Jane Eyre uh, moment. Um, I would prefer it if you wouldn't light yourself on fire. Yeah, well, I need you. Yeah, well here's the thing. It might happen. Um so anyway, the mystery I'm trying to solve is because I can't control it. And it seems to go on at times that don't really make any sense. Um, like in the summer, for instance, the radiators <laughs> get going. Right now, it is freezing in my apartment. I don't know if you've noticed, but Minnesota has some snow. It do- it sure does. Yeah. Um, and the heat is nowhere to be found. Those things are just cold as a corpse. And I don't know why that is, but I keep trying to ask around and say, hey, could someone turn the heat on in my apartment? Um, <laughs> no one. No one answers me. Um, in the summer, I once asked, I said, why is this on? And I was, I was told that the best thing to do would be to open a window. Um, so we had the heat on running just straight out the window. It's what we call energy efficiency. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, that's, the, that's the mystery I, I always end up trying to solve instead of writing because usually I'm too cold to sit there and write. Speaking, speaking of things yeah. that keep you from writing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things to get the writer in your life. Yeah. Is a very expensive Italian um, temperamental espresso machine who's um, who like can never brew an okay cup of coffee. Yeah. Right. Like it's right. it's one of those things that like is supposed to work, but you like you don't know how and you don't speak Italian, so you yeah. can't like make the espresso yeah. that you were trying to do. You definitely threw away the directions. Definitely. With the box. Yep. And yeah. like the hijinks from like you know, trying to brew with Claude or whatever yeah, yeah, you yeah. name it um, keeps you from writing. But, like, don't worry because you still get to post about it on Twitter every day. Have you ever burned yourself on one of those? I used to all the time. I had one in college. So I, I, don't, I don't drink coffee. God damn it, Laura. <laughs> what? You, I, you, every time you tell me that, I get more and more flustered and mad. I mean, like, I um, do when it has but, Irish cream in it. Okay. So I used to have an espresso machine in college and – you wanted you wanted to be like sophisticated, right? As like a twenty one year old or whatever. Yeah, I had a and I had a hot water yeah. kettle for tea in college. There was there's like, I think I'm trying to remember. I think it was the milk steamer on this thing. I just used to scald myself on this thing. Yep. Nearly every usage. Yep. And again, you know, the I think the theme here with all these gifts is to find built in excuses not to do any writing. Yeah. Um, and that's a great one is searing off the tips of your fingers while you're trying to make your fancy latte so that your <laughs> writing feels idyllic. Um, this is this is a great way to do it. Um, but no, so I, I definitely recommend on um, buying yourself or others, maybe both, multiple hundreds of dollars of whatever Nespresso or what are the other brands? I don't know who else makes them. I don't know who makes them. Nes- Why are you asking thing? me who makes an espresso machine? No, it seems like you got a lot of kitchen gadgets. It seems I like do, the sort but of thing. none of them have do coffee. You have a, do you have a KitchenAid mixer? Yes. Oh, man. It's the big size, too. <laughs> it's the big size. <laughs> size matters, folks, on the KitchenAids. It, it does. Um, so what else we got? <laughs> um, this, this is something <clears throat> that I've considered giving to myself. Uh-huh. Um, 
a little free library outside of your home because when you get it, you think that like people are going to come by and they're going to like really appreciate the books that you have in there and people are going to put good books in there. But inevitably what happens after like a month is that somebody like went into their basement and grabbed the mustiest like previous like library sale books from the 1970s about like clover farming that like nobody will ever want to read and they just like shove it full of that Mm -hmm. because they don't actually like want to recycle the books or like you know yeah whatever um so then it just becomes like something that you're embarrassed by because like you're a writer like you should have good taste in books and then your little free library is awful the little free library is actually a great place to find the directions to the espresso machine that someone else stuck in there. <laughs> That's usually what you can find in these things. I, there's one on in the walk in my neighborhood that I think right now has. It's got like a bunch of. It's got like a bunch of like. Um, like pulp mystery novels. Nice. You know, so that's that's kind of cool. But it also has like, you know, those like big. Do you remember those big like. I don't remember the DK books, Dorling Kinsley. Yeah. Is that? I don't remember the. Yeah, remember, yeah, yeah. But it, it's like the one on starfish or something. Nice. You know? I um, loved those books. Yeah, no, those were great. So one of those is in there. Um, yeah, usually it's that. There's some romance novels. There's usually like a few like conservative memoirs that are called like farm character or whatever, and it's all about <laughs> how poor people should never have any money because that's immoral. Um, but. Yeah, no, they're they're really great, um, and you should definitely stuff it with really anything made out of paper. It doesn't have to be a book. Yeah, your napkins. Yep. Put those in there. It can be your your blank precious yeah. journal. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You can stick you can stick your journal in there after you've like copied the Emily Dickinson poem at the front, and then put like <laughs> I don't know I don't know what goes in these things. What else but, do we have? Oh, let's check the list. Oh, st- yeah, stationery. Mm. Stationery, great. But you got to get the stationery that's specific to the to the writer. And by that I mean you need stationery that at the top says, I hope you're having a good week. Just wanted to follow up. <laughs> Just stick that. <laughs> oh, my God. Because that's, that's the note I get every day, um, like 30 times <sighs> over. Um, I, I got one it. on Twitter this morning. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, nice. That's great. I'm yeah. glad people are taking to the streets, so to speak. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, no, that's good. I also send that note a lot because I've just decided to just quit caring. We're all just following up on each other in a big circle of hell. Yep. Um, so, it, so you can save a lot of time. Plus, I feel like with a handwritten note, you know, it's your, nice. your check-in, you know, just wanted to ping you. You know, maybe you can get like an alternate. <laughs> wanted to that. circle back around on this. <laughs> yeah, the, the circle back around. I like, you know what I like about that is it provides like the image of like a big wagon train. You know, like yeah. the old West, like, they, you know, I'm just going to bring the horses back around, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> except it's instead it's like checking on a manuscript you sent me like two weeks ago. Um, yeah, it's good. My my next one on this uh, list is in complete opposition to yeah, the very, yeah. like, nice follow up stationery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the holiday season, which means that if you are a writer uh, somebody that you run into either in your hometown or like mm. somebody in your family, like Aunt Karen, will just like ask you, like, "Oh, you're a writer. Where can I read your stuff?" And that <laughs> is the question that everybody hates. And so here's what you need to yeah. do: yeah. you need to go to your local costume store uh-huh. and you need to get those like blood capsules. Mm-hmm. Just stick them in your cheeks like a chipmunk, and yeah. then when somebody asks you that, bite down on it and smile so that you're you have this like this bloody mouth, right? Like like you're yeah, yeah like you're in Titus Andr- Andronicus, like the just idea is like to horrify them, yes, into never ever asking you any questions Correct. about your writing ever again. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. No, that's one. great. No, that's mm-hmm. that's important because Aunt Karen is definitely going to ask you a bunch of questions about like why you're not in the Paris Review yet. Yep. And it's great to just instead of like having like a well-reasoned rationale about it not being the right fit or whatever, just start bleeding at her. <laughs> that's the key. That's a much better hashtag right tip. Bleed just bleed it, Aunt Karen. <laughs> um, oh, so this is good. Um, this is a good little. This is a good stocking stuffer. Um, it's something you can usually get for a buck ninety-nine down at the convenience store. You can give it to pretty much everyone you know. That's a push cart nomination. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or even just a physical push cart. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like get a get a thing. Yeah, yeah. get like a wheelbarrow. You know, yeah. just be yeah, like, yeah. here. This is the only <laughs> push cart you're ever gonna get. 
Oh, Christ. Um, no, that's, yeah. Oof. We made a joke about that on the Print Run account. And people, Probably. people didn't necessarily enjoy it. Well, some a lot of people did, but I, we got to feel like, oh, oh well. Oh, well, well. We're making that it joke was. again. <laughs> Doubling, um, doubling down. Also at the, the dollar store, do yeah. you know what you can find? Tell me. Another hobby. <laughs> <laughs> you can. You know what's in right now? What? Drones. <laughs> I don't even be, know what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can. There's like people, like usually it's dads right now. Yeah. Who, who've decided to pick up as their hobby. And definitely like the idea here, folks, is to do literally anything other than write. Yeah. Um, and what I suggest doing instead of writing is just get one of those plastic drones that you can get a like sharper image. Or whatever. Of course, they're, you buy it at Sharper. They're usually image. like you know sixty nine dollars, um, and you just you fly them around the yard, you fly them into your neighbor's windows, um, you harass the dog with them. Um, usually the or the cat because you, oh, you're, you're gonna have a cat. cat. You've got the six toed cat that you can now do battle with <laughs> with your robot. Um, the idea here, again, folks, what we're trying to cultivate here is a, a non-writing life. You know, and it's important to establish habits in your non-writing life because otherwise yeah. you're going to slip back into being productive and creative and that would be yeah. that would be terrible. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> when you are feeling productive and creative, though, um, mm. it's really, really, really important that as a stocking stuffer, you are giving the writer in your life uh, a strong opinion about either the Oxford comma or ending sentences with prepositions. Yeah, and in addition to those opinions... Make sure that you're, like, proclaiming them loudly and, and at all times. Like, it's really, really interesting to have an opinion about the Oxford comma. So you should definitely get online and start telling people about it. Yep. Um, they'd love to hear from you. Uh, so please do it. Um, so are we, on, are we on to our last one? No, we've got two oh, more. We've got two more. We've good. got two more. Okay, good. So, so this one is related to the little free library. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did them out of order because we're very good at planning. Yeah. Um. So, so this is one that you, you can get for yourself or for other people. It's entirely performative. Mm-hmm. You want to get your writer subscriptions to several magazines um, <laughs> that you don't like and that they don't like, but yeah. you both know that you should like and you're supposed to have them. Yeah, no, that's, that's crucial. Um, and make sure you're getting not just the digital subscriptions, but the, the, the print, print ones. So they want, can just stack up yeah, you on your coffee table? Up, yeah, you want them to stack up. You want them to completely overwhelm whatever shelving space you have. And, yeah, no, it's good. You can strew them about. Is that the – strewn? So is strew the, the verb? I I'm Sure. Like because you, you refer to something as strewn about, you know, the room. Yeah, I think – Like I, if yeah. I were to do some strewing, is that – that doesn't uh, – hmm. Let's go with it. Okay. All right. Well, if maybe if I was a you know if I was subscribing to the Paris Review, I would know better on my on my <laughs> verbs. But all you got uh, is a stack of New Yorkers. I do have a stack of New Yorkers. I like that magazine, which actually came in handy this week because I was able to read the story that we were going to talk about. Put in a, a few pin minutes. in that. Put. Excuse me. Um, yeah. So last thing. <laughs> last thing on our bookish the, gift guide. The last thing is is important here. And this one is very near and dear to my heart. And I don't know if people remember their high school physics class. Do you remember your high school physics class? Laura, did you take physics in high school? I did. Yeah. Um I didn't do <clears throat> super hot. Yeah. Well, I have a hard time I. thinking in 3D. <laughs> really? Yes, actually. <laughs> Shut up, Eric. No, it's just what's a funny, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, what do you mean? You just like it's, I don't know, it was difficult for me. Okay. No, like, I mean, the, I'm just know. interested in the phrasing. Yeah, huh. well, I mean, like, physics is, you know, yeah. it's about things yeah. in 3D. Yeah. Like, I was really good at chemistry. Okay, yeah. Really not good at physics. Little hexagons and shit yeah. in chemistry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was good at that. Yeah. Um, I was really good at following directions for labs because I'm a baker. Uh, mm. But then, like, physics, it was yeah. like, I'm throwing a ball. And I'm like, what is a ball? <laughs> What is a ball? <laughs> um, but so this is um, anyone who took high school physics probably spent, or maybe I mean this is what we did at the school I went to. We had to make we had to make a trebuchet, folks. That and seems so a trebuchet, um, you know, it's like the big giant wooden Catapult. contraption for flinging cannonballs at your enemies. Yeah, right. It's like just you, a fancy word for catapult. Yeah, well, no, it's not. Is it's, it it's not? A, it's a different thing. It's got like a counterweight, right? Like a catapult's got like a spring load. If oh. I'm, if, not that I'm like, oh. a, not that I'm like oh, a medieval. Okay. <laughs> but, but the trebuchet, I think you've got like the, yeah, no, there's like a counterweight and it swings the big arm and it flings the, 
in our instance, you know, the tennis ball, it flings like 80 yards or whatever. Um, but you're going to want to get as big a one of those as you possibly can. If you have to build it yourself, you know, there's lots of directions online. You can use two by fours. It's really great. You can probably find the directions in your little free library. Yeah, again, this is another thing that people are stashing in, you know, someone stuck their high school physics, like, notebook in that little free library. <laughs> so you can go get that out of there and build one. And then what you're going to want to do is the next time you think about um, opening up your laptop and logging on to Twitter.com, <laughs> instead of doing that, you're going to close the laptop, you're going to set it on the trebuchet, and you're going to fling your computer as far down the block as you possibly can, hopefully out of sight. And you're not going to buy a new one out of there. <laughs> and you're never going to go on Twitter.com because it's on a terrible— On your phone. <laughs> on your, oh, put, stick your phone on there, too. That's why it's got a lot of shots, you know? <laughs> the trebuchet reloads quickly. It's what makes it. A, it's what made it such a devastating weapon during castle sieges. But you can get that. You can get your phone on there too, iPad, whatever it is you're using to access the Hell website. You just stick it on there, and you never go back on that site that is making us all worse people. I feel like these are all extremely good suggestions, yeah. and I feel like maybe in 2018, mm-hmm. uh, Print Run should have a subscription box of some sort where yeah. we can send you yeah. all of these things. Yeah, just like the Hello Fresh of just like shitty writer gifts. Like, <laughs> here's a poem. Here's like and a, a shot glass yeah, yeah, yeah. and a and a half filled moleskin notebook. Here's a pen that's out of ink, so that when you try to use it and it doesn't work, you can use that as an excuse to not write. Yeah. Yeah. A build your own trebuchet right, in yeah. a box. Yeah. Trebuchet is, in a box. This is good. We should like at the $50 Patreon level. Actually no, now it'll be the $48 Patreon. <laughs> at the $48 Patreon level, folks, we will send you a giant box of shit that you can use to make your writing life worse. You know what? I feel really good that our listeners are now better equipped mm-hmm. for the holiday yeah. season. Yeah, me too. We should do like a New Year's resolution thing, I feel like. Okay. Maybe we should have something on that. because Something with having to do with the now, trebuchet. Now that we're in the lifestyle business, um, <laughs> which I consider us to be now. Um, so let's should we, should we do one of those th- transitions to yeah, a new topic? Yeah, let's do a transition. Um, so... This was something that you brought up, and so I'm going to tee it up for you, and you can tell me about what you were thinking um, because I loved this. Um, But we've got a new segment, folks, um, and it's called the Hairbrained Book Scheme of the Week. And the idea here is, you know, as people who spend a lot of time thinking about the publishing industry, sometimes you come up with something that feels a little bit weird or wild, and you think, how come no one is doing that? And usually sometimes there's a, you know, there's a reason and sometimes there's not. And sometimes you come across something that just might work. And so today we've got our first harebrained scheme of the week, Laura, and I would like for you to tell us what it might be. Okay. Okay. Oh, my goodness. You guys, I've been thinking about this. This is one of those things that, like, I was laying in bed and I had my, like, audiobook thing on the sleep timer and then the sleep yeah. timer ran out but I was still awake and then all of a sudden it came to me yeah um and it, and, and it is this mm-hmm. why have no books ever been released the way Beyonce does a surprise album drop just boom yeah there's the like book. why has there never been a book lemonade hmm see you know what I mean I love that I lo- like I love the idea of just like all of a sudden you like you know you open whatever your book news site is and bam you know there's or like you walk into you know a Barnes and Noble and just all of a sudden that first day like can you imagine like, yeah. if Harry Potter was just anything, like yeah. surprise anything like that was just no lead up no publicity campaign nothing beforehand I think that would I think that would get people going pretty pretty good like I think it would be great and the reason I think that is is because the day people are most excited about a book is never – like the day you are most likely to want to buy a book, I feel like it's not the day it publishes. It's the day you first hear about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you see that thing. Like you see the announcement. Like, oh, man, I can't wait to buy that. And then like five months pass and you like – all you've like spend the five months like reading, you know, the blurbs and kind of the very standard publicity cycle, you know. And I wonder every now and then it just feels like someone could really, really capitalize on that fervor by just – Bang! Here's the book without any warning. With you know, you put the embargo on it and everything. Yeah, it would need and to then, have some pretty serious non-disclosures. <clears throat> sure, but 
and may you know, and if there are you know, especially if like anyone you know, any publicists or anyone like that is listening, and you guys have ever tried anything like this, we want to hear about it. Like I, I bet someone has tried something like this, surely. But if not, like I, I think that's kind of a cool idea, at least situationally, especially if you've got. I guess the caveat is that it would have to be an author people know. Yeah, right? I mean, like this does happen all the time for like authors who just don't do any legwork or publicity <laughs> or like tell anybody like that's not what we're talking yeah. about here. I yeah. mean, we're talking about yeah. like Beyonce, yeah. you know, so like JK Rowling, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking, you know, not James Patterson cause he has a book coming out every week, yeah, he, but I if James like Patterson didn't, yeah. Yeah. then it would just be like, boom. Yeah. And that'd be awesome. No, I think it could work um, because it kind of, and the, you know, you asked earlier, like, why why aren't people doing this? And I think the question is, or the answer is simply that, you know, as we talk about a million times, like publishing is a very risk averse operation. It's an operation that wants to do things in the same system. It's always done them. Um, and I don't know, like that strikes me as fertile ground for trying new shit, you know, because they're not the ones doing it. So we can come up with all kinds of yeah. new harebrained schemes. The only one, like, the the big thing <clears> that I think <throat> is keeping publishing from doing this, other than, like, they've only ever marketed books one way. Yeah. And that's with, like, the lead-up and the pre-sales. And pre-sales are important because they feed into the first week sales data so you can get on the New York Times bestseller list. And, yeah. like, you know, there's kind of all of this normal, yeah. like, structures of how to generate buzz. Yeah. Um, I think... I think a big problem is that they're like unlike with Lemonade mm-hmm. um, or the self-titled album Beyonce, <laughs> uh, which started kind of the the random <laughs> CD release drop. Didn't Drake do this once too? Yeah, I, and what a lot it? of people have done if it. If you're reading this, it's too late was surprise, wasn't it? Yeah. One of them was. Yeah. Well, yeah. Radiohead kind of started it like way back in the aughts yeah, because they did it. They gave it away. Yeah, well, they did a they did a 10 day lead time, yeah. which was unheard of. Yeah. And then like Beyonce came to, came in and she's like, 10 days. <laughs> it's available today. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a few of those music industry things that I wonder like the well, I think it's digital. Like, yeah. I think they do. Yeah. They can do that because. Yeah. They're, yeah, you don't have to get books to store, or you don't have to get copies to store. Yeah, you, you don't know? have to get copies to store. There, there are systems in place, like you know, yeah. you know the the song listening systems, like yeah. um, you know, title and that those yeah. you know those places um <clears throat> that that make it really easy. But like, I feel like the distribution problem can be fixed. You know, like yeah, no, you could work. No, no, and then like I'm picturing. You know, so it happens, right? Like your big time author, you know, publishes their book with no warning whatsoever. Everybody at this stage is freaking out about it, right? Like it's the first few days, people are rushing off Woo! to people are rushing off to buy it. People are, you know, reacting to the news, they're talking about it. Like, what a great time to have all this other stuff ready. Interviews, you know, or like essay other things that you just have all ready. that drop. Yeah, just like have everything like ready to roll. You could probably Get way more engagement out of whatever content you had ready to publicize. If you, I don't know, instead like, of doing it over six months, you can yeah. do it over one week. Yeah, the, if the, and, boom. And like, if you're trying to, you know, if, if this is kind of, you know, back to like bestseller strategy, right? Like, the idea is to get everyone to do it all in the same week, right? Like, you need people to buy things. Um, like, that's why pre-orders are so big, right? Yeah. Because even though it takes place months over time, it all counts for the same first week, right? So this would theoretically be another way. That you could get lots and lots of people to purchase a book all at once and maybe you could get onto a list if you didn't think you were going to. I don't know. Who knows? But I think at the very least it's a good harebrained scheme. It it definitely is. I mean there's no way it will happen, you know, now or probably anytime soon because like print books are still a thing and there's no way publishing would, you know, invest in something like that that's so new and different. Um, But you know what? I think we should all strive to be like Beyonce. Hmm. Yes. Wise words. Thank Pub you. tip. Pub tip. Be like. <laughs> um, be like Bay. Be like Bay. Be like Bay. Um. So we've got one more thing to talk about. We sure do. And it's the thing that everyone is talking about. Yep. It's the. It's really the. Yeah. I mean, this is, and we're talking about it because everybody's talking about it. Like it's one we of had, those things. We had something else it fe- planned, <laughs> and then it was like, well, we're throwing that out. This thing has just fed on itself to a degree that I think we both find fascinating and really kind of cool and interesting. Um, and that is, of course, uh, the story Cat Person, 
Um, author's name again? Kristen Rupinian. Kristen Rupinian. And this kind of took everybody by storm, huh? Yep. And so why – I guess let's just start um, because one thing I think we agree we don't want to do is like get into like literary criticism time. Like we don't want to sh- talk about like personal reactions to the story. We don't want to do – we want to focus on the fact that this thing took off in a way um, that – I don't think either of us have ever seen a piece of short of short fiction take off in this kind of capacity, right? Yeah, I've I've you know, I've I've always really liked short fiction. I don't yeah. read as much of it as I would like. Yeah. Um but one thing that I think I've noticed and you pointed out to me this morning is that reading short fiction even when you talk about it with somebody else in kind of a literary criticism angle. Yeah. It's like I think short stories more so than any other type of writing, maybe except for poetry, mm-hmm. is incredibly personal. Yeah. Um, so the fact that, you know, for the past 24, 36 hours, everyone's been given hot takes on this short story that was published in The New, York- New Yorker mm-hmm. is very unexpected. Well, that's the thing. And I think that just so that anyone in case, you know, people haven't been a part of this online discussion, just so they're clear on what we're talking about. Um, this story published this week in the New Yorker and became the sort of phenomenon that stories never are online. Like this, this was suddenly being talked about by every single person in your feed. Everyone was sharing it. Everyone had a reaction to it. Everyone had reactions to the reaction to it. It was the sort of thing like when someone, you know, if someone writes like a really provocative political article. Yeah. Online and suddenly your whole feed is like talking about it at once. You know, that's what happened. It but felt this like is that fiction. for this. And it was so jarring in a way because it's a short story in The New Yorker, which is a perfectly it's a, obviously like the place to have a short story published. But like you don't see this kind of popular fervor around that kind of thing. And I think that, um, you know, the why and the you know how and the what it means is all it's all really interesting. And I guess. I mean, I, it's tough to even know where to start with this because um, obviously, you know, the piece is about, um, you know, it's about sexual coercion, right? Like it's yeah. about – It's about the patriarchy yeah. kind of on a sure. broader scale <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and bad sex, not yeah. like not like um, unpleasurable sex, but it's, it's about um, instead kind of, yeah, like the, the sexual coercion and kind of what it, it – kind of the mental gymnastics people do to kind of convince themselves they can convince themselves they know who somebody is and kind of um what it means for them to go through with you know the motions of a relationship including a physical one when they don't particularly want to or they're kind of like Mm -hmm. changing sure um so just kind of a base base reaction was you know women Responding to this article and then men being well, women repu- women responding to this story to the oh yes oh that. my god and no, we're, we're yes. gonna get into that in a second that okay. distinction you just made right there but it's a story not an article yes it yeah. is a story yeah um when I was reading it I wasn't sure if it was an article or a story mm. um so I think that takes us to kind of the point here yeah um you know we don't need to tell you that like the patriarchy has been like running this discourse and that it is hashtag problematic. Um, But instead I think what's really interesting and I think um, this is something that you pointed out is that the lines have blurred here in terms of form. Yeah. I thought that this was an article when I first read it. I thought it was like a personal essay. Well, so that's – that's what I think is interesting about it is – and that was my initial reaction, right, is how come – like I'm, the first question I had before I even read it and I read it, um, what, half a day after everyone else yep. maybe or so. And my first fundamental question um, was why is everyone talking about this short story as though it isn't a short story? Yeah. And I mean that not just in terms of the discussions about the piece itself but in terms of – just the the nature and fervor of the discussion. Like I said, this felt like the kind of conversation that typically surrounds a you know a controversial New York Times piece or a you know big giant reported expose on something. You know, it felt like we were talking. It was the sort of conversation 
and conversational constructs that typically feel reserved for other mediums. Yeah. But here we are talking about a piece of short fiction. And I think the reason, the reason we got there is because, as you just described, it did an incredibly well-executed job of describing a very specific and widely felt experience that is also very difficult to describe. Yeah, rarely right, talked about right, as like well. Tough to put into mm-hmm. words, felt by a lot of people, felt poignantly by a lot of people, and that's the kind of thing that gave it legs, right? Yep. Um, and so I guess, you know, it got me thinking, like, if this is how, you know, it made me think, this is how we're talking about stories now. Yeah. This is how we could start talking about stories. And the answer is, are we going to talk about them in ways that make them seem like something other than the short story as we know it, yeah. you know, like you, for instance, just said, you know, you almost viewed it and you almost worked with it. I you called know, it an article. Right. And, yeah. we, and we talked about, you know, we were talking earlier today and we were trying to decide if the like, um, and it's not, you know, it, uh, this is not a personal essay, to be clear. It's a piece of fiction. Right. But like, what if this was a personal essay? Would people be talking about it the same? Like we, we kind of had that kind of question, you know, like, does the form itself matter? And so the question that comes up, at least one of them, there are lots and lots of things to unpack here, and we're obviously not going to get to all of them. But like, if the discussion, you know, if the way people talk about, you know, the on, speaking specifically of the online discourse, if the discussion is going to look like this, whether it's a short story or whether it's an article, if we're going to talk about all pieces of writing similarly, you know, and get excited, does the form actually matter? And does that form, the short story, might it change because readers are different, you know? Because one thing I think about a lot, and you can, you know, interrupt me or um, tell me what you think as I kind of try to lay this out a little. Um, so much of writing is dealing with the behavior of your reader. Yep. Right? It's dealing with reader expectation. It's dealing with, hey, if I write this, my reader is going to think this, or my reader doesn't have this specific, you know, you're constantly trying to put yourself in the eyes of someone reading your work. It's a two-way street. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You're trying to create a reading experience, right? But people read differently now than they used to. People read, you know, and people talk about their reading in new ways than they used to. And so I wonder if... The fact that now all of us are not just readers, but we're posters, you know, we're we're part of this on, constant ongoing conversation, especially around this book, is this story, is is that going to change the way we, if reading changes, will the writing change with it, you know? Like, will suddenly acquisitions editors at these places think, hey, is this the sort of story that could get people talking online? Yeah. You know, is this a story that can go viral exactly. rather than is this a story <clears throat> that people are going to read in a print copy in their homes and go, and go I really oh, liked nice. that story, yeah. and then bookmark it and read it six months later. And stick it in their New Yorker on their coffee table that they've stacked up. Your gigantic with ni- <laughs> pile. <laughs> um but yeah, no, so I, I just think – I think there's something about the virality of it. Like what it's is it – It's new. Because yeah. we've never seen this. When a short, for a short story, a piece of short fiction to go viral, especially from an author that is not like a giant household name. You yeah, know? It, a debut author. Right. Yeah, yeah, they're just this working – uh, right. she's just working on her first novel now. She just got her MFA. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know – I I read so there there was you know as a response to this viral kind of sharing of mm-hmm. cat person um the New York or the New York Times posted a interview with Kristen Rupinian okay um and and I read it and you know and it's and it's you know a Q&A yeah. um but they they engaged in some conversations about like form and like what didn't make it on the page Mm -hmm. and I actually um felt in a lot of ways that it took away from my understanding of the piece itself because I think um I I still am even though I know it's a it's it's a it's fiction I'm still thinking of it like an article right you know like when when the when the author gets to gets to talk about other things that didn't make it on the page or kind right. of like distinct choices there. Um, it it pulls it away a little bit. It and makes it feel a little bit less real. It makes it seem more like a short story yes. as opposed to being – and that's what's so interesting about this. And the thing of it is, is in all this discussion, right, in all this virality 
viral. I don't even know. How, I don't even know if that is a word. I but believe you know, it. You I believe it I, is. You get what I'm it's saying. our second word we've made up in this episode. <laughs> yeah, strew is yeah. As you're strewing about the virality <laughs> of this piece, um, no, I mean, I guess you know, with you know, with this viral stuff, like you've got the reactions to the piece, right? People sharing about it, and then you've got the reactions to those reactions, many of which were you know humorously terrible responses from men that eventually got collated into a very funny Twitter account. Um, and then, you know, the responses to those, you know, you had this kind of built this reaction that built on itself in the way that going viral always does. Right? Like eventually you're you get away from talking about the piece itself. You're talking about the way everyone is responding to the piece. And one thing I think was totally missing, at least from the circles I saw, was a discussion of the writing itself. Also of the craft elements. Yeah. You know, that like this is a you know, this is a story with characters and a plot. And, you know, tension and all the kind of standard craft elements you'd expect in any story. And she, I think, executed them very well. But no one's talking about the piece that way. They're talking about um, what I think is a product of her making a lot of very good decisions, which is the impact it had on readers. And so I I just found that bit interesting, too. Like, it didn't feel like we were talking about a short story. And I think the reason it didn't is because we weren't necessarily talking about the writing as it existed on the page as much as we were talking about kind of reader reaction. One thing I also noticed is that besides that Q&A, yeah. um, which I already mentioned, you know, it kind of took away from yeah. my enjoyment of the story, <clears throat> is that Kristen Rupinian has kind of also disappeared yeah. in favor yeah. of the characters in the story. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, if it was any other, you know, if it was a story that was published a year ago, People would say, "I loved this story. This author is a genius." Yeah, that's not what hap- what's happening right. here. People are just stuck on the content. So I think that's another kind of I don't know. We were talking about this earlier, and like I really do believe that this story is mm-hmm. kind of the first, like the first new short story. Yeah, you know so what, what I mean. You, like, what do you mean by that? It's it's the first short story that is not necessarily interested in being a short story. I think it's more interested in kind of instead of playing with its form Mm -hmm. or playing with, you know, the, the plot or something. Mm -hmm. um, I think that now we're kind of entering a time when authors are playing with, with their audience and audience reaction that take you're saying that that is going to take more of a precedent over what we consider as traditional craft elements. Yeah, in, I mean, in our yeah. writing by reading um, last month, we we did her body and other parties, yeah. um, or we did the husband stitch, which is a short story from her body and other mm-hmm. parties by Carmen Maria Machado, and we talked about how short stories a lot of time take chance with form. You know, yeah. they take chance with a lot of like craft elements. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe given kind of the impulse for for readers to share and to have takes and, and you know, given the preponderance of the nonfiction that they read in short form yeah. on a day-to-day level, yeah. um, I feel like the this new short story is going to take risks with the audience and less so with form. I think they're going to take risks um, – with you know that virality yeah as you put it right so (laughs) i would so this is the thing with that and i think i agree with some of it and some of it i think it's going to be tough to know how it plays out and i guess like you know to that initial question of how would people have reacted to this if it was a personal essay i think it would be fundamentally different because you described something that happened that i agree has happened which is that the author has gone away right or not gone i mean she hasn't gone away but she is Largely secondary to the discussion we're having, yeah. right, about these – Which know, is atypical with became, a short story. It became all about these characters. But if it was a personal – if it was – if this was like a description of her own experience, if this was like her own, you know, her own life and explicitly stated as She'd such. She'd be centered. We'd be talking about her. We wouldn't be talking about the character. You know, there wouldn't be quote-unquote characters. We wouldn't be able to – you know, we'd be digging into her. You know, we'd be – talking about we'd be like going back and looking at whatever stupid problematic tweet she had in 2011 you know what I mean like we'd be doing all these awful things that I think don't necessarily make for a productive writing conversation Um, but because I think that I guess maybe what I'm trying to say here is I think that the piece the short um, 
the fact that this was a piece of short fiction it was is central to its virality. I think that this wouldn't necessarily have taken off if it was a different thing. I think the fact that it was a story that people could insert themselves into without the having to move around the author's presence, yep. I think that that matters. And so when the one thing that I get afraid of as we talk about, as you talk about maybe a shift in, um, you know, this new short story you're talking about is like if we're if suddenly we're going to start talking about short stories like they are real personal experience, you know, as if they're as if they're articles. Art, as if they're essay or articles, and that's going to become king, and that's the way we're going to do it, kind of in response to this. I I worry about that because I wonder if that means that all of the things that actually made this piece what it is are being overlooked in exchange for just trying to um, pay attention to the noise that surrounds it. Because I would say that um, regardless, you know, I agree that she didn't take that many, you know, this was a very straightforward piece. But it was masterfully done. But it was masterfully done. And it was done, it was done, like this is a terrific piece of fiction. And it's not necessarily adventurous. The prose is, you know, there. I don't know, there's a few really nice sentences, but it's not as though this is like a, um, you know, hang on every last word. And, you know, I mean, the point is that it was exactly what it needed to be, mm-hmm. you know, and but that it's in itself is a craft achievement. And I guess, you know, as all of us become Twitter readers, as we start reading with a mind toward how we're going to talk about it, you know, I worry that suddenly we're going to people are going to start writing with an eye toward how people are going to talk about it online. And I think that that changes things. And I guess like, for me, with this kind of stuff, I'm like a, you know, I'm always a stick in the mud on these things. You're like, a little bit of a grump. You know, yeah. No, I I want like, because I thought this was so, I guess like I thought this was so cool that this piece was like making the rounds. And I, just like everybody else, like people were talking about, um, oh man, isn't it, isn't it cool that we're all talking about a short story, especially one that, you know, especially right now, you know, it had this kind of relatability and topical factor. Um, you know, so many, you know, women were really interested in it and talking about it and using it as a vehicle to discuss other things. Like, I think that's great. I think that's like every, that's such a beautiful illustration of everything that fiction can be, right? But it's still, I don't know, like that, I worry that maybe we're not paying attention to why it got to that, like why it was able to do that. And that's because I, I don't know, like I would, I hope that what gets, what the takeaway here is is still, wow, that was a really great written piece of fiction and not, man, that thing went viral. How do we duplicate that? Because I think <laughs> I think that that changes things. I think that that has that, um, I don't know. Like, Only time will tell. Yeah. Um, but but I think, it was really cool. Like it was cool to see people yeah. talking about. Um, it almost, it flustered me. It in did. The beginning. You... It made me really mad at the very beginning because my initial reaction was, talking about this short story in the way we talk about the terrible David Brooks column. You know what I mean? Like quit, everybody quit like doing that awful Twitter thing we do to every other piece of writing. I felt like the short story was too, um, I just wanted the story to be separate from the filthy paws of Twitter. You know, like I wanted. <laughs> Whereas but, I was actually really inspired yeah, by no, that no, because. Yeah, and then I thought yeah. about it and I looked at it and I agree. Yeah. I, I I think, you know, it, this is just the first example yeah. of kind of this is really the first time a short story has ever done this. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting, you know, in the next few years to see where short stories land mm-hmm. in terms of kind of public resonance and kind of in the way that we talk about them. But it's it's definitely um, an unexpected gift to us that, you know, People are still reading and and people are responding to things in different ways. And it, you know, it's kind of an exciting and also scary challenge for writers to know that you have to engage with your readers in a way that you might not have been ready for when you were learning how to write um, or when you were starting to read. So either way, it's, you know, it's exciting. If there was, (laughs) I know, I I mean, I'm, it's, it's such an invigorating thing to look at and think about, but like. Um, if there was like one, as I, as I like put on my, um, you know, writer and editor hat for a second, the thing that I think that we really did this one, the service that it did was the specificity. Yeah. Like if you're like, man, how can I write something that everyone is going to want to talk about? I think the answer is not to go broad. It's to put into words something highly, highly specific that many people has felt. 
that and, is a very good write tip. That's a good write tip. Um, in, there, huh? in, yeah. in, you know, that wasn't actually not our planned write tip, yeah. but it's a good thing to end on. Um, our actual mm-hmm. write tip is to head on over to Decembo.org or go uh, look up hashtag Decembo on Twitter um, because we are literally posting a writing tip or an editing tip every single day this month yeah, with us. a fun meme. At Print Run Podcast on Twitter. Or, um, we'd love to have you around. Yeah, so. Or Decembo.org because we are a serious organization. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm never getting over that. It's .org. I think that's great. They, dot .com was taken. <laughs> yeah, Whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, good. Perfect. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Print Run. 